Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Heavy Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're really excited to get into Luke chapter 15 with you uh, this week. But before we do that, Tanner, how's your week been? My week's been good, uh, pretty normal. Uh, I get to preach, I got to preach Sunday morning, which was great, and I get to preach uh, this coming Sunday night, which is also great again. Um, I love being able to do that. Um, let's see, anything else I'm that I did this week? You shot guns yesterday. Yeah, I did get to go shooting with my brother-in-law. That was a lot of fun. Um, other than that, and hanging out with you know my buddies some, and that that was pretty much it. How about you? Uh, it's it's been good. Uh, it's we're getting near the end of that semester, and so I, I know all the everyone who's ever been to college, whether you're a student right now or you've been went to college in the past, knows that end of the semester comes and final exams start coming up and assignments start getting due. And so it's it's been a busy week, couple weeks, and this week will be kind of the last week because finals are next week. So it's been kind of busy getting everything ready with that, but it's been good. Uh, I preached this week on Thursday, which normally is not a, a preaching day, but uh, I preached at school for one of the preaching classes I'm in. One of our assignments is to preach a sermon at the end. And so it's it's a, it's a unique setting. It's it's a lot different, you know, getting up and preaching in front of a congregation than it is preaching in front of a few of my other preaching students and Carrie Allen, who yeah. <laughs> if you don't know Carrie is – he is a, a fantastic preacher and has uh, taught all of the preaching classes that I've had at at the school that have to have anything to do with actually like crafting and writing the sermon. Mm. I had a couple classes that were more like about delivery that he didn't preach, but anything to do with the content of a sermon, <laughs> Carrie's always taught it. So it's it's kind of nerve wracking preaching in front of him because he's the one that's taught me pretty much everything I know about how to write a sermon. So. Uh, but it was good. It went well. Yeah, when we uh, when I preached chapel a couple of weeks ago, that's like very non formal setting, mm-hmm. and I still was nervous preaching in front of him and in front of my grandpa, and you know. So it probably was even a little bit more of a hurdle for you because you you were preaching over the computer. You weren't actually there. Yeah, preaching over Zoom or doing anything over Zoom is just so much harder and less enjoyable but you taught over zoom for a while during covid didn't you with your youth group yeah um yeah mainly like wednesday night youth groups i think i've taught something over zoom maybe once because i didn't ever do zoom with youth group um i did zoom one time years and years ago back when i was in high school actually when we were when me and you were both still at sherman uh we were doing i don't even remember why we were doing Zoom. Hmm. Um, I didn't even know Zoom was around in high school. Well, maybe it wasn't when we were in high school. Maybe it actually was during COVID. But I taught youth group at Sherman over Zoom. I vividly remember doing it one time. Maybe Nathan was, like, sick or something and asked me if I could cover. I can't remember when it happened. I know I did, though. I sat right over there, I remember, and and taught about the greatest commandment, about love over Zoom. I don't know why I, I remember it, so clearly but i know it happened <laughs> it was at some point Did but, you feel uh, like uh people were paying attention to you some of them i definitely c- could tell they were because you know i could see they had their cameras on and they were 
I could just look at them and see they were listening, and they were kind of I like I had questions too, and so some of them were doing good at responding to the questions. Other ones, I mean, you're no matter if you're a youth group in person or online, you know how it is. Yeah. Some of them don't want to be there and aren't listening, and but some of them are. So Zoom, Zoom is definitely much harder from both sides of the camera for the student. It's much harder to pay attention, and for the teacher, it's much harder to. Uh, to teach and be encouraged by people paying attention. <laughs> so yeah, that's for sure. Anyway. But, so it's been a good week. That's good. Glad to hear it. Hope you all are having a good week too. Uh, don't forget to mark your calendar. The LBC semester is, you know, closing in on just a month away. It starts January 15th. Um, if you're interested, you know, the school has a website. I don't have the URL and off the top of my head, but just Google Louisville Bible College and it'll come up. Um, or contact the school by calling them. That's probably the best avenue for information is just calling the school. But that'll be uh, great for anybody that, you know, the primary goal for the school is to train leaders for Christ Church. But, um, you know, anybody that wants to grow in biblical knowledge or you know, some kind of church, church administration, anything, you know, the school has classes that are for training for those, uh, for those people. The other thing is there is a new module schedule available and obviously this semester schedule is available, but those weekend classes like the origins one that we took last week, those, that schedule is out for the next semester so if you're interested in one of those weekend classes you know um, talk to one of us or contact the school like I said before all right I think it's time to hop into Luke chapter 15 let's do it man I just want to share with everyone that um, partly because of doing the podcast but just for whatever reason this year I have spent more time in the gospels really in the last six months probably, than I ever have. And partly it's because, like I said, of the podcast, but also for some personal study and for things at church. And it's been really good for me. My my trust and love and passion for Jesus has has just grown as with all of this study of the Gospels. And I just want all of us to be encouraged. I want you guys, I want to encourage you guys to be in the Word. And don't just do your daily Bible reading and, you know, be done with it, but really take your time with it. Um, It's been a blessing for me to really take my time with the Gospels. Obviously, I've read them before, but I've never taken my time like this through them. Yeah. Uh, it's been important for me to, you know, meditate over it and, and allow myself to connect with God through through His Word. So, you know, I just want to encourage you all to do that as well. Um, but as we hop into Luke, one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 15, there are 32 verses. My chapter title is pretty simple, Lost and Found. We've got three parables um, spoken here, and all of them 
very connected to the to the idea of lost and found. You could almost even say that they're all one parable. They're yeah, I mean they're all very connected. Um some discuss whether the prodigal son is a parable or a real story, but either way, the point that Jesus is making is still the same. So right. that's what we're going to focus on. As we dive into our key thoughts, um, I'll open up with my typical thought on verses 1 and 2. <laughs> I knew you'd have one. Never fails. So... <laughs> it's giving you a hard time. <laughs> I know. I don't I don't know how I always do it, but there's always something. You've got, you've got to be trying to at this point. I, it just... I don't know. I read the first two verses, and I'm like, oh, that'll, that's a good thought. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both of the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man re- receives sinners and eats with them. Last week, we talked about how <laughs> the last week's first verses were about how Jesus actually made an effort to have a relationship with the Pharisees, but they rejected him. And I titled that that key thoughts section, section Jesus is Friends of the Humble. Well, I'm titling this one again, Jesus is Friend of the Humble, because this emphasizes exactly what we were pointing to last week. Jesus is friends to those that seek him and wish to know who he really is and are willing to believe the truth. The... The sinners or the tax collectors, you know, as this statement says, they came to him, coming near to him to listen to him. They wanted to know more about him. The Pharisees were just around to prod at him and, and ask him questions, trying to trap him. They they had no intention of actually trying to know who Jesus actually was. And so the Pharisees are prideful. They judge before hearing, and um, they judge before honestly considering who the person is and and what they're saying. And so we need to remember always, you know, we're all sinners. The Pharisees were sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners were sinners. The way to approach Jesus is humbly because it is to the humble that Jesus is a friend. And these first two verses are really important to having a correct understanding of the, of the whole rest of the chapter. Jesus is going to teach kind of three three different lessons: the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep, and then uh, the the prodigal son is the 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 title in the heading of my Bible. Um, I, I know a lot of people feel like we shouldn't call it the prodigal son, and maybe it's more about. Uh, the parable of the older brother, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but where the first two verses are important is we see why Jesus tells them the parable. A lot of times uh, we'll see Jesus have kind of like a reactionary preaching. Something will happen, and then out of response to a conversation that he just had or something that was just said to him, he will go right into a, a parable or a lesson. And so the context that sets up this whole discussion about lost and found as as Tanner put it is the Pharisees are grumbling at him because he receives sinners and eats with them yeah so as, as we go exactly. through the as we go through this keep that in mind that th- that 
that is the whole reason Jesus is is teaching all of this stuff that we're about to go through. It is it is a direct response to the Pharisees being upset with him for receiving sinners. So let's just start off. Uh, if you don't mind, we'll we'll just read the first parable here. It says, uh, picking up in verse three. So he told them this parable, saying, "What a man, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them?" does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." When we, way back, you know, 16, 17, we're on 17, so I guess that means 17 weeks ago. Is that right? We're on chapter 15. Yeah, but we're on podcast 17. Oh, yeah, because we had the intro episode and the the, the, uh, Q&A. Anyway. So, yeah, this should be... Whatever week. This should be 17. I don't know how that math works out, but anyway. uh, Regardless... The first podcast when we did the intro, we made the emphasis that the book of Luke, the key verse, if you would put it that way, is Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost is how the verse goes. Well, here we go. Jesus is emphasizing that really hard right now through this through this passage. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Um. And so through this parable, we see that, well, through all this, we see that, but some emphasis from that parable is, first of all, there are none righteous but Jesus. Um, everybody's a sinner. So at the end there, when it says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, that isn't to say that there are a bunch of people that need no repentance because they don't sin. It's to say there are a bunch of people that think they don't sin or think they don't need to repent uh, because of pride uh, getting in the way. So there's going to be there's going to be a lot of joy for the one that repents in heaven. Um, joy will come to he who has been found in repentance. In fact, this whole whole matter of rejoicing when someone or something who is lost becomes found. It, it, you will see that in all, in all of these, in the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the, the prodigal son. In, in all three teachings here, something is lost, or someone is lost, it becomes found, and all three times we're going to see rejoicing. And that's been that's been an interesting thought for me to ponder on this week, is... When a, a sinner repents and and is found, that there is rejoicing in heaven. You know, obviously there's there's some rejoicing here on earth, <laughs> or or at least there should be, when a lost person is found. But to think that there's rejoicing going on in heaven because of something going on down here on earth, when a lost person is found. It's it's just really been something I've I've pondered this week, 
and and is interesting to me. Yeah, it is very interesting, and it's very interesting to consider for sure. Another part of this is there's a hundred sheep, and one gets lost. This kind of makes me think about the church because we are all sheep in Christ's flock, right? Right. If one of us gets lost, we what are we supposed to do for that lost person? Do we just let them go, you know, die? Figuratively, figuratively and liter- literally, or do we avidly seek them in order to try and guide them back to God. I guess that would depend on who you ask because some I think some people would say go with the first option there and just well if if they don't want anything to do with the church that's between them and God that's on them is is kind of the mindset and I think part of the point of what they're trying to say there is we can't force them to remain faithful but there, there's also a, a level of accountability that we ought to be holding each other to as Christians. And when we see a brother or a sister in Christ falling away and, and stumbling, we shouldn't just leave them to, to be on their own. That's that's when they need us the most. Yeah, and I, and I don't want this to be like a kind of, I guess, confusing because, you know, Paul talks about should we continue in sin? And then he says, may it never be. And the emphasis is, like, don't sin so that you can repent and there's joy in heaven again because and you receive more grace. <laughs> so, like grace that, so grace can abound. <laughs> yeah, that that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is all of us Christians are, are, a, are a flock. We're a family uh, in Christ's church, and we should hold each other accountable and love each other and help each other stay in the flock. And if somebody strays away, don't just, ah, uh, they, they've given up on the faith. No, you know, really make an effort to find them. And, and what this is teaching here is each individual has in, an incredible amount of value attached to it. Yeah. The, the, this guy has a hundred sheep, a hundred of them. Just one's just one is lost. He'd probably have to be pretty uh, particular about counting them to even realize that the group had ninety nine sheep instead of a hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, when he realizes that, he he actively searches out the one. He was the one out of ninety nine, and we're gonna as we go through this, we're gonna see that number dwindle down to one out of ten, and then one out of two. But but th- this first. Part of this uh, teaching of Jesus, where we see the it's one out of out of a hundred that is lost, and out of when when that one out of a hundred comes back, there was again we just talked about this. There was joy in heaven, rejoicing in heaven over over just one. So, <laughs> why would we, and in, in the church, let's just say you're at a church of a hundred people, maybe two hundred, just one person is missing. A lot of times I can really get just swept under the rug, but Jesus is teaching here there is incredible value on the one. Mm-hmm. And it's worth it is worth seeking out and pursuing 
that one that is lost to bring them back. Yeah. And the the thing is, the church, the 99, are safer than the one. Yeah. Like, they're together. They, they now, sheep aren't, you know, without a shepherd, they're pretty, you know, they're, they are easily taken, but the 99 are still safer than the one is, is the point. So, that, uh, well, you kind of covered the joy a lot. Um, you know, there should be great joy for the loss being found. Um, I just want to add one more thing to that thought. Is You know, today, the, the, the line drawn when a when a person goes from lost to found is when we are baptized when we see somebody being baptized so when you see a baptism is what it, what is your reaction when you see a baptism um you know a, a lot of times i see people just you know oh good you know, it was some soft claps, and they're just, <laughs> they don't, there's no real care. You know, a lot of times people that get top baptized will stay after after the service, and, like, <laughs> some people go up and talk to them, but most people are out the door. You know, they're ready for lunch. So I've got a funny story about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I used to be a lot bigger of a stinker than I am now. <laughs> this, I mean, this I do been before I under, I understood what baptism was and and really what was going on. But yeah, I'm I'm probably I don't know third grade, fourth grade, real little. Before, like I said, before I really understood what was going on. And <laughs> any time we would have a baptism, I don't know how it happens at at Glenesty or I don't whatever church you 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 go to I don't know how it happens there but at Sherman where I grew up if there was a baptism it happened at the very end of service and and a lot of times it would add 15 maybe 20 minutes you know to the end of the service because you'd the service would end normally and then the person would go up and talk with the preacher or whoever was going to baptize them and they take the confession of faith and then normally we do another another song while they're while, while they're you know getting ready and getting yeah. their baptistry clothes on and then they do the baptism and then normally they'd pray and sometimes even have not like a full another song but like maybe a couple uh pages on the slideshow yeah and then well service would actually end but then of course everyone's going to stay and and congratulate them and talk to them and be happy for them and Man, I used to get so frustrated <laughs> when I was little because I would just be sitting there waiting for church to be over. Like, it's almost time to go home. It's almost time to go get lunch. We're getting close. And I remember I would I would see somebody start walking up at the end of service, and I knew I knew what it was, unless it was, you know, one of the preachers or, or somebody that I knew would maybe go up there to sing. And I, I would get frustrated when... A baptism would happen because that meant <laughs> it wasn't time to go home yet. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot today. And like I said, I, that was obviously before I, I understood what was going on there at baptism and how important it was. But that's just uh, a funny memory I had come up when you were talking about that. Well, 
like you said, you that was before you understood what baptism was for Christians. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for people that have come to Christ, this should be overwhelmingly joyful for us. Um, I, I guess I have a story, too, um, because... More and more, like, the more I see, I watch people, the more I watch Jesus change people's lives, and when I see them get baptized, and, I, and I'm very confident that it's, you know, for for the right reasons, and they, they know what they're doing, the more joy I get out of it. And it was interesting, we went and saw the blind Oh, the, yeah, the movie about Phil Robertson. Yeah, and in that movie, he's baptized. Uh, he, you know, there's there's a lot that goes on. He, he, you know, struggles through life for a long time, really struggles with a, with a drinking addiction. and But then when he hits rock bottom, he, he finds Jesus, and he, you know, he gets baptized out in, out in the woods, and... That scene was the one that, you know, I, I'm not much of a crier, but I teared up when I saw that because it was, I, I know based off of how Phil has lived his life that that moment was a huge change for him. Yeah. And it brought me a lot of joy to be able to see that in his life. It was, and, it was one of my, it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie for sure. And, and. I see any time I see a baptism. That's that is any time I see somebody go from lost to found. There is a lot of joy in my heart, and that's really what we need. That's how we should be. If we're if we're not passionate about people and and them going lo- from lost to found, then we've we've got a pride check. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I'll encourage you guys, you know, as as you see people making that transition from lost to found, really consider what's happening to them, what happened to you in your life when that happened, and rejoice in that because that's not only good for yourself, it's fantastic for yourself to be happy about that, but it's also good for them to know that others are rejoicing in the fact that you've they've been saved. And their baptism doesn't just mark a turning point in their life on earth. I mean, certainly it does. But <laughs> when someone goes from lost to found, all of eternity is changing for that person. Yeah. Uh, not that they're they're guaranteed to be in heaven as soon as they're baptized. You you know we you and I believe they can still fall away if they willfully decide to leave the faith. But it, it's at that point they're forgiven of their sins and receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And they're they're on they're on the path to heaven at that point, and so you know we talk about baptism like in Phil's life and and other people's life being a big turning point in how their life functions on earth, and it is. But it's even more than that too. It changes more than than our life here. It changes our our eternity. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to the the next parable. It's only a couple verses, three verses, so I'll just go ahead and read this one too. 
Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jake already touched on this, but I really think that this parable, more than even the other two, emphasizes an importance on people. People are so important. Really think about these words used for this how this woman searches for the for the coin. She turns the lamp on, she sweeps the house, and she searches carefully for it. Now some of you listening will laugh. But when I was younger, I I was known for losing my wallet. <laughs> I I would lose it all the time. Luckily, this was like prior to having a driver's license, so I didn't have like identity to lose. <laughs> but anyway, oh, I would lose my wallet all the time, and often I would search frantically for it. I mean, I'd be all over the place. I'd be crawling on the ground, you know, looking over under every every crevice and all the couch cushions, you know, all over the place. Didn't you lose it one time, like multiple times on a mission trip out in Arizona? My, my first mission trip, I was, well, I guess at this time I would have had a driver's license, but well, maybe a permit. Anyway, I was 16, I think, and we went to Arizona. I might have been 14. Yeah, I think it was 14 because it was when we entered high school. That we I, I wasn't there. I don't remember. But anyway, I was 14, and I, I we were in the airport. My wallet fell out of my pocket while we were in the airport, like terminal, waiting to get on the plane. Somebody brought me my wallet that was out there and then got on the plane. I was already seated on the plane. I I about flew off without it. Was it someone like in your group or just a random person? Random person found it and handed it to, to Orman. Uh, one of the guys in our group, and and uh, then he handed it to me. Okay. Uh, on the, when he got on the plane, and he was he was like, "Come on." <laughs> anyway, and then you know how Orman is. Oh yeah. And then I I can't remember how many other times, but two other times I lost it on the trip. One time, it fell out of my pocket in the van, and it was like in between the seats. And then the other time, the cr- this is the craziest one. I was, we had like a, like a pic, like a late night picnic or something. And there were the park benches or like picnic tables. Yeah. The wooden picnic tables. And we had like an ice cream thing. And so, you know, we all were like socializing and talking to people and my wallet fell out there and we were in, we were at an Indian reserve and it was, you know, they, Wealth is a problem there. Um, and, you know, I had cash for this mission trip in my wallet. I mean, it wasn't crazy, but it was a decent amount of money. Yeah. And that guy, uh, I, my wallet fell out there, and the guy brought me my wallet. Mm. It was, uh, I'm surprised I got it back. 
Uh, it sounds like you need some pants with deeper pockets, man. Listen, I almost never lose anything anymore, so I feel like <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Be careful saying that. You're gonna, well, you're gonna I say that, but something. I misplaced my keys like two weeks ago, but it only took me like 10 minutes to find it, so it wasn't like I was sweeping the house for it. I just looked like three places and found it. Anyway, the point with this is the comparison here is urgency, necessity, and extreme importance. Don't, you know, this goes back to going and seeking people. It isn't just a one phone call. It isn't just a, you know, maybe take them out to lunch one time. This is fervently seek people. Now, that doesn't mean fervently seek them and disregard everything else going on, disregard other people that might need your help, disregard the family, but try try to fervently seek people and not give up on people hmm. um, because there is an, a necessity and urgency and extreme importance on everyone. And heaven... Heaven rejoices over the repentant heaven rejoices over the repentant the miss it, and here's here's the great thing about reading that for me is as we are serving god and and trying to share the gospel with people and and have an impact what we find here is the mission is not done in vain because if even one if even one comes to repentance then there's joy in heaven yeah and um so yeah the mission's not done in vain is it is to the benefit of people and to the glory of of our god and that is that is a great encouragement for me So now it, this is the longer one. This the, the the prodigal son is how it's titled in most Bibles. Um, goes to the end of the chapter, but I, to to summarize, the prodigal son asks for his father's inheritance, uh, his portion of his father's inheritance. His father gives it to him. The son, a few days later, goes off and into another country. He spends all his money. He basically throws it all away. And then a famine comes over that country, and he has no money, nothing to eat. He's starving. He tries to find a job there. Um, it's really bad circumstances. He's still starving. And he thinks to himself, well, even the f- servants of my father have enough to eat yeah, and and live well. So Heath says, all right, I'm going to go back to my father and work for my father as one of his servants. And so he comes back to his father. He, he says, Father, I know I've sinned against you, but allow me, please, to work as one of your servants so that I can live, basically. And the father says no you are one of my sons let's slaughter the fattened calved and let's have this feast and and celebrate celebrate. let's have joy well 
then the his other son, who the older son, the older son, was not too happy because the older son stayed. He's worked with his father. He's not, you know, gone and wasted all of his par- portion of the inheritance. And the father says, "All of what I have is yours." Um. But your brother was lost, and now he is found. Let us rejoice. And that's why Jacob said um, that it might be better for us, that based off the context with the Pharisees at the very beginning of the chapter, this parable, you know, a lot of time we focus on the prodigal son, but it, it may be equally important or even more important for us to focus on the older son because the older son and the Pharisees uh, have, are related, uh, are connected here. I, when I when I look into this and study it and and spend time in the context, I, I really I'm trying to see this from the perspective of the first two verses, which is what we say were very important at the beginning. Uh, the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling at Jesus because they say this man receives sinners. And eats with them, and and, that, and that's exactly what the father is doing here, in in this the last section of this parable. The father is receiving the lost, the the sinner, the the wayward son, the son that had went and 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 squandered all his wealth and went off in the foreign land, and you know he's he's lost. But the father receives him, the son comes back. So, so if we're if we're gonna kind of match characters here between. This last section of the parable in the first few verses, you could see Jesus as the Father, receiving this, re- receiving the sinner and eats and eating with them. You know, you you see the the prodigal son as as the tax collectors and the sinners that were coming to coming to, coming back. They they were coming to Jesus in repentance. And then I really believe that Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to see. That they are the older brother. They 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 are they are not they, they they cannot even rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. The Pharisees are so caught up in this this idea of their works and their righteousness, and this idea of of looking at other people and saying, "I am so much better than them." They shouldn't even come to you, Jesus. Part of the goodness of the gospel is lost people can be found. They are willing to humbly come to Jesus in repentance. That's what some tax collectors and sinners were doing. That's what this prodigal son in the parable was doing. And and the Pharisees didn't rejoice like heaven did. The Pharisees grumbled and were frustrated and it's exactly what the older brother did look in verse 29 I want to read a couple verses here about what the older brother says back to the father in this in this it it, this is after uh, the younger son returns and and the father is accepting him in and he's like all right let's let's celebrate the lost has been found let's kill the fattened calf let's let's throw a celebration here's the older brother's response But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, 
and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But, and catch this, he doesn't say, but when my brother, he said, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had, we, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours. See, he doesn't say this son of mine. He's trying to get the older brother to understand this is your brother. And he was dead, but now has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. The older brother didn't care about his younger brother. What did he care about? The same thing that his younger brother cared about before he left. <laughs> he cared about the the blessings that that his father could give him. The 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 celebration and the fat and calf and and all and all of these <laughs> meaningless things. And, and his whole point through there, if you couldn't tell, I was emphasizing the eyes in there. He, he, his, his whole argument to his father was, I've always been good. I've never been the sinner. I've never been the tax collector, as the Pharisees were calling it. I've not been the one who was lost. I deserve these things because I have been good. But you, but you 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 celebrate and rejoice and give all of this to to not my younger brother to this son of yours who is who is left for a foreign land to go squander your wealth. This is how you treat him, huh? I really believe Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees to see that they were just like the older brother. They couldn't rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. That someone who was lost can become found. They cared more about their their own their own works and their own righteousness and, and this idea that they were better than everyone else. And so Jesus shouldn't accept them. He should only accept those who were perfect in their eyes. Yeah, they couldn't accept the gospel because they didn't think they needed the gospel. Um you know, really think about the fact that you know the the younger son you know he he's got this uh pride about him he's he's got this greed about him he wants his he wants his wealth now and so the father gives it to him well we you know you kind of think oh well the older brother stayed and served his father but why did he stay he tells us for the same reason he stayed so that he stayed so he would get his father's wealth there's still this pride and this greed, and you see that pride come out in the eyes. The I have. The I might celebrate with my friends, you know. I have never neglected a command of yours. Yeah. I, I mean, they wanted... <laughs> both sons show pride and greed here over the same thing. One, the younger brother has lost all of his all of his uh wealth and is now coming back in repentance the older son by the end of the parable has yet to come back in repentance now 
we're kind of and we're left on a cliffhanger. I mean, it doesn't say he never repented, but we never read of it. And a lot of times, I think in this parable, we uh, say, well, the the younger son, the one that went away and squandered the wealth, well, he was the bad guy, and uh, uh, the older son was the good guy who stayed home and and didn't cause any trouble and did what was right, and then. Uh, the bad the bad son comes back and they receive him and yay let's party. <laughs> There's only one son here that we see evidence of repentance. They both they both have sin, and they both need repentance and forgiveness. The Pharisees, just as any other person ever to live except for Jesus Christ, were sinners, and they but they were unable to admit. Their pride. They were unable to admit their failures. And if you connect the Pharisees with the older son, many of the Pharisees never did come to repentance. And even after Jesus Christ died and resurrected, they tried to cover it up. The scriptures speak to that. Another thing I want to emphasize here before we wrap this parable up, is the forgiveness of our Father in Heaven. Another way to, you know, you connected to the Father to Jesus, um, connecting Him to God in general, our Father in Heaven. When when we're born, we are right with God. But then, when sin comes into our lives, then wrong then we are are against God we're wrong with God if you want to put it that way in repentance God think think about how the father brought this the younger son in in repentance we are not this hired servant that is you know properly fed but Earning our way back into the family. Earning our way. We are adopted as sons and daughters in repentance. And the glory of it is what the younger son probably found out is there is more freedom. We find more freedom than we ever could in the world when we come to the Father and live how he created us to live. So... It doesn't matter what anybody's done. Well, let's back up to the first thing. Our Father has forgiven us in that way. So to the second point, it doesn't matter what somebody else has done. In repentance, forgiveness comes. And it isn't you have to work your way back up. Right. It's acceptance as sons and daughters. So... Now it matters what they do going forward. You have these expectations for them going forward. Um, Because obviously they're not meeting any expectations before. That's Mm. the need for repentance and forgiveness. In Christ, we are blessed by more than enough. And that's something that the older son doesn't realize is he's blessed by more than enough. He has, the father has more than enough wealth to share 
uh, you know, the fattened calf with him. Yeah. And the brother is promised that he's going to, he, he has all of what his father has. That's, that's what his father says. But the, the son is not satisfied. Um, but know to know and realize that in Christ we are blessed by more than enough. And so be willing for it to be shared with the lost. Be willing to share it so that the lost can be found. Because Christ has more than enough, is more than enough for us. Absolutely. Well, I think that is the end of the chapter. Any more thoughts? Um, I guess my closing thought, what I've been pondering this week is, don't be an older brother. Don't be an older brother. That's what, what I've been trying to think about. Don't let your pride, your high view of yourself, cause you to not be able to rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. Humility and pride... key parts of the christian of the christian life avoiding pride really choosing to humble yourself give up yourself for the sake of christ and for the sake of others we want to thank you for listening seek the lost with the love and compassion of christ and let christ save with the truth of the gospel go bear fruit so proved to be one of his disciples.